We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day. Three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Packaday Podcast. You can get all your Packaday updates by following us on Twitter at Packaday Podcast. And remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify. And of course, you can always check us out over at CheeseheadTV.com. I am Kyle Fellows, and I am joined by my co-host, Andrew Mertig. Andrew, welcome back to another Friday edition of a show. Thanks, Kyle. It is awesome to be here, as always. I figured it out. We are 83 days away from the Packers' first preseason game, so we have some ground to cover with off-season coverage, and I, I think we have some creative ideas how we are going to start thinking about the off-season as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. So you're coming out of free agency, you're coming out of the draft, and then things dry up a little bit. You're really excited about what's going to be in 2019, but it's all the stuff and the layers leading up to that. And so we did want to take a little bit of time uh, to unpack some of this and reflect a little bit and learn about maybe what we can know about this draft class based on what's happened in the past. So it's no secret that Rashawn Gary wasn't the most popular pick in the world In fact, Gary was one of the few that were rarely ever even considered a possibility for the Packers at 12. And so when he was the selection, many fans, in their frustration, have already determined that Gary will be a bust. And so Andrew and I thought it would be fun to do a little exercise to show just how little we as fans actually know, especially at this point. 
because it is absolutely impossible to say with any kind of certainty at all whether or not a prospect will bust or be an incredible success. There are just so many factors that play into this, whether that's scheme fit or coaching or freak injuries and so many other things. So we thought it'd be kind of fun to take a look back at Packers draft selections in the recent past and then take a look at our emotional responses to those selections at the time and then really laugh at how those selections actually panned out. Uh, But before Andrew and I rat ourselves out for our terrible takes on these past draft selections, Andrew, what is a pick? that you hated that kind of actually ended up being as bad as you thought. So you want me to talk about how right I was about something? I just decided to play into your your uh, strength here. That is so on point for me. That's great. <laughs> so this one is going to seem kind of obvious, but uh, to me it's Justin Harrell. And in 2007, that Harrell pick totally came out of nowhere. And I actually wasn't really that upset about the player, though there certainly were a lot of really good players taken after Harrell, like cornerback Leon Hall, safety Michael Griffin, uh, another safety Reggie Nelson, linebacker John Beeson, uh, Anthony Spencer, the edge, tackle Joe Staley, still in the NFL, uh, guard Ben Grubbs, uh, and tight end Greg Olson. My goodness, that's a lot of good players towards for the second half of the uh, first round. But I was upset because there were options to trade down that the Packers could have taken advantage of and still gotten Harrell if he was indeed their guy. So the Packers were picking at at pick 16. At pick 17, the Broncos traded up with Jacksonville and gave up the 21st pick, the 86th, and 198th. Meanwhile, at 22, the Browns traded up with the Cowboys to draft some guy named Brady Quinn, and they gave up pick 36 and then a 2008 first-rounder. So I'm always willing to put trust in the personnel that they're going to be able to evaluate the talent. But I'm often critical when teams don't get the best value where they are picking or, you know, they overdraft players. We know that Harrell's career was a disaster. I certainly wasn't in love with him as a prospect, but that pick would have looked a lot different if they took him at 21 and got two additional picks out of it. Or better yet, they could have actually traded down twice. They could have moved from 16 to 21 and then from 21 to 36. And then they would have picked up that 36 pick, an 86, 198th, and a future first rounder. And I have absolutely no doubt Harold would have still been there at 36. And the perspective of his career looks a lot different in that situation than if they take him at 16 and he's like this legendary bust in Packers lore. Absolutely. And Justin Harrell was kind of like, uh, just the very beginning of when I actually started following the draft. I had always been a Packers fan, but following the draft kind of started in that 2007, 2008 range. And I remember at that point, I had no idea who Justin Harrell was, but uh, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about Justin Harrell later. Well, one thing, I, I don't know if we're going to get to the Derek Schrod pick uh, at all in, in today's show, but it seemed like Ted Thompson was willing to take a risk on these guys who already had some injury concern. Um, and Sherrod was an example of a player who probably was going to be pretty good and had all of the qualities you wanted, but just could never stay healthy. And by, by all accounts, he was a grinder Harold, I'm not a hundred percent sure about his work ethic, but um, it certainly you don't want to take a guy like that at pick 16, especially when other options exist. Yeah, I've always felt like the draft was about minimizing risk. And obviously, you have to take big swings. 
but especially in the early rounds, trying to find guys that you know that you're going to hit on, or at least that you've kind of minimized the outlying factors that play into those risks. And so when you do take players that have high injury risk and injury histories, that is something that always bothers me as a, well, you saw that coming like that. It's not something that was supposed to surprise you, but uh, definitely something that was present in Justin Harrell's evaluation for sure. Um, For me, Demarius Randall and his selection in 2015, a little bit more recently, was the pick that just made my heart sink. First, the Packers had just selected Ha Ha Clinton Dix, and it just didn't seem like the team had a need at safety. Uh, And then it was announced that the Packers saw Randall as a cornerback. And that really concerned me because, like I said, there are so many variables to factor in when trying to project a player's success at the next level. And adding in a position change certainly does not help that process. So I just felt like the Randall pick was confusing and it felt like the Packers overthought the selection and tried to get creative with their process. And obviously it looks like Randall may have found a new home at safety with the Browns, maybe the position he always should have been playing, uh, which just makes a lot of sense. And so we, we hope him all the best. But to me, Randall's selection and the way that the team intended to use him always seemed like a plan that was just kind of set up to fail. Just a note for the podcast, Kyle wishes Demarius Randall the best. I, however, do not. <laughs> do you want just, to Just clarifying. <laughs> just clarifying. I do okay. not. Okay. All right. Um. <laughs> So no, it's it's funny you say I'm I'm joking sort of. Um, we, but, we have to clarify that too. <laughs> but it, but it's it's funny um, because the the Quentin Rollins pick then in the second really compounded the mistake made with Randall. Um, and I I know I'm aging myself here tonight or today. Um, like you're talking about all the the newer picks and I'm getting old school here, but it, it reminded me of the Antoine Edwards, Fred Vincent, Mike McKenzie in the first three rounds um, and the Packers response to getting torched by Randy Moss for a season. Um, I don't know if you remember that, but the Packers um, took cornerbacks with their first three picks in the draft. Um, and Edwards absolutely had the athletic profile of a safety like, Demarius Randall, but he was never utilized there. And Fred Vincent's greatest contribution to Green Bay was he ended up getting traded for Amon Green. And McKenzie had a pretty good run, but it was cut short. And so then I was thinking about if you add Ahmad Carroll into the mix, which of course came later, um, there's a pretty long, scary streak of highly drafted corners in Green Bay, uh, maybe dating all the way back to T Buck. Yeah, absolutely, man. That is a. That is quite a list when you list them all there together that it's kind of scary to think about the way we've drafted drafted cornerbacks in Green Bay. But uh, now we've talked a little bit about, you know, some gut feelings that we had that ended up being correct. But let's go ahead and jump right in here and eat some humble pie and talk about, you know, some stuff that we we just thought we knew, but we actually didn't. So um, first, I have two guys that I absolutely loved at the time of the selection. I was just over the moon excited about these guys, and then their careers went very, very different than I ever would have expected. And so first, I loved the selection of HaHa Clinton Dix in 2014. Admittedly, C.J. Mosley was kind of my guy that year. I was a huge fan of him. But once he was off the board to Baltimore, I was all in for Clinton Dix. And so when Green Bay turned in the card, and it was HaHa, and they announced I was really, really excited. I thought that Green Bay had their next legendary safety and a guy who would play multiple contracts in Green Bay. And obviously, as of recent, as we've learned, that was not the case. Uh, So missed on that one. Secondly, I fell in love 
with Dayton Jones in 2013. I truly believed he was going to develop into a truly dominant five tech for that defense. I thought his frame would allow him to put on a little bit of extra weight and get out of that tweener mold that he was going to enter the league with. And honestly, Jones kind of stayed a tweener and Green Bay never really did decide, kind of bounced him back and forth between defensive linemen and then tried him in, as an edge rusher at times. So uh, just two guys that I really, really liked at the time of the selection, thought they were home run picks that didn't end up being that for the Packers. So, Andrew, who are your favorite picks that never became what you thought that they would be? So I'm going to keep this old school streak. And I I have told you, I have loved the draft for a very, very long time. (laughs) And I'm going back to third or fourth grade on this one. Nice. Um, (laughs) I was convinced that running back LaShawn Johnson who was actually drafted in 94, was going to be a star. He was so fast and so, so good at Madden. I think he had a 99 <laughs> speed rating at running back, and sure. like you could just run around the edge off tackle all day long. Um, but he never had enough vision to be the replacement for Edgar Bennett or Dorsey Levens. Um, then in 97, moving on to my middle school years, uh, we're getting close, uh, the Packers drafted kicker Brett Conway in the third round. Yeah, a third-round kicker. Nice. Great idea. Uh, And I thought he'd be their kicker forever and be the replacement for Chris Jackie. Uh, By the way, my mom had a huge crush on Chris Jackie, which was really uncomfortable when I was a little kid. Just saying. (laughs) I don't know if you remember Chris Jackie had the nice long locks that came out of the back of his helmet. No, no. Anyways, Chris Jackie, great kicker. Um, But Brett Conway never really got on track, and he actually got beat out by some undrafted scrub named Ryan Longwell. Nice, Ryan Longwell. Yeah. Um, In 2009, I was kind of disappointed by the Clay Matthews pick in college. I thought he was just really outshined by both Brian Cushing and Ray Maluga. Whoa, USC's linebacking core was really, really good back then. Yeah. Uh, Actually, their team was really, really good back then. But um, I had thought they were just drafting a name more than a player. And I I didn't think he really had a chance to be great. And boy, he proved me wrong there. Um, But my favorite draft miss was a time when I was actually responsible for knowing what I was doing. In 2006, I was interning in the sports department at Fox 11 in Green Bay. And I was asked to prepare the draft profiles for like all of the realistic draft picks possible. And um, at least for the first four rounds, they would cut in live with the actual news reporter and use my bullet points as talking points. And this was back before the Thursday, Friday night draft. So um, early Saturday morning, the Packers draft AJ Hawk at number five. And that was no problem because he was certainly one of the likely picks. And I'm sitting around for a few hours on Saturday morning. Um, In the second round, they take Darren college, right? Guard knew, knew enough about him to, Uh, get some intelligent bullet points out there. And then the Packers are on the clock again in the second round, and I'm ready to fire out another draft profile. But then they trade down. Um, And they did a, you know, I'm I'm relaxed and waiting for the next pick, you know, maybe 10, 15 picks away. And suddenly they trade right back up. Uh, And I am totally scrambling. But I'm convinced because they needed a wide receiver. Um, Terrence Murphy was a guy they drafted the year before and he had a neck injury and it was unlikely that he was going to be able to continue his career. And there's a guy named Chad Jackson from the University of Florida who is clearly the best receiver prospect available. 
Instead, they draft some guy out of Western Michigan named Greg Jennings. And I do not have a thing on this guy. Not <laughs> one thing. And he's the 52nd pick in the draft. And somehow I miss scouting him uh, in looking through the internet for mock drafts and draft profiles. Because, you know, you didn't have YouTube back then. And it was really hard to get tape on guys from Kalamazoo. Well, I write up the first three points I can think of that are generic enough so I won't get in trouble later. So I put something to the effect of he has great hands, he shows great quickness, he's an excellent route runner. And I guess I got lucky that those things happened to be true because clearly I wasn't on the Greg Jennings train and he proved that I definitely should have known who he was prior to the draft. Uh, Side note, Chad Jackson was drafted by the New England Patriots and I think he made it like a year or two in the NFL. Nice. Chad Jackson just sounds like the classic wide receiver that you just take because he sounds like a wide receiver. Well, and Chad Johnson had gone like maybe a couple of years before that. I don't remember. Yeah. And you um, got Deshaun Jackson. You just got to yeah, combine the names. Chad and... Johnson, Chad Jackson, they sound great. Yeah, it's all good. Uh, in your defense, I am actually from Kalamazoo, Michigan originally. And so I had no idea who Greg Jennings was at the time of the draft. Now, given I did not follow Western Michigan football, so uh, there's, a, there's a little bit of a reason why. But uh, in your defense, Greg Jennings was not even a household name in Kalamazoo itself. So that took a while to catch on just about everywhere. And my mom met Greg Jennings in a grocery store one time. And she was like, I don't know, I met this guy named Greg Jennings. Is that a big deal? And I was like, Yes, that's a big deal. That, that was like that was uh, later uh, when he was a Packer, so I was a little bit jealous there. But anyway, enough about Kalamazoo, Michigan. My all-time low has to be how infuriated I was when the Packers selected Jordy Nelson after trading out of the first first round. I really wanted Kenny Phillips, the safety from Miami, who went 31 to the Giants at the end of round one. And then when the Packers used their pick on a white wide receiver from Kansas State, I was just devastated. And obviously, you know, the rest is history. And uh, Jordy's one of my favorites to ever play in Green Bay. So, um, you know, just, just goes to show how much you know and how much you don't. But um, all this is really just to say that you really have to have no idea how good a selection is at the time it's made. And that's just part of the fun. And as fans, we get to watch these players grow into pros. And as fans of the best team in football, our job is to hope for their success, regardless of whether or not we were originally a big fan of their selection at the time. Yeah, I remember watching the draft and uh, me and my friends uh, were like, did they draft Jordan Nelson? Is that a typo? Jordy's not a name. <laughs> and now I would have, I, I have a sneaking suspicion that we're going to see an influx of uh, like youngsters named Jordy in the state of Wisconsin. Just, just a, just a feeling. Just a hunch. Um, yeah, I wanted to throw some random names of guys I thought that who were going to be really good that I couldn't fold into this conversation. Uh, but I saw them in my research and I just I had so much fun looking at some past drafts and remembering how madly in love I was with some of these draft projects uh, prospects. So in 2006, the Packers in the third round drafted a linebacker out of Iowa named Abdul Hodge. I don't know. Is yeah. that before your time? No, no, that's right on the oh, cut. I, thought, yeah. I, I thought remember Abdul, Hodge was good. I thought Abdul Hodge was going to be the truth. He he was solid, but not <laughs> he anything was, he to was write fine. home about. Yeah. He, was, he was fine. Um, in 2007, they took safety Aaron Rouse out of Virginia Tech. 
Rouse was a guy I loved. Was he taken like in the late rounds, right? Just a couple. Like... Um, I thought he was a fourth rounder. I should fourth have written round. it down. Okay. Yeah. Um, I could be wrong about that. I I just made a note of his name, but he was like six four and like that big lumbering traditional safety kind of. Yeah. If if they had a similar scheme fit to what the Seahawks had, maybe he could have been like a Cam Chancellor kind of guy, but really had a lot of inadequacies in coverage. Um, in 2009, I really loved the fullback Quinn Johnson. I thought he was going to be like the next great fullback, and he just never quite panned out in Green Bay. A couple solid seasons blocking in Houston, if I recall, um, in front of Arian Foster. Um wow. In 2011, I loved seventh-rounder defensive lineman Lawrence Guy. I was so mad when they cut him, and then, of course, he goes on to have it. He's still having a really solid career. Uh, Indianapolis, New England, I think. Yeah, I think New England most lately, yeah. Uh, In 2012, linebacker Terrell Manning, uh, partially because he just looked really cool and he had a cool name. Um, <laughs> but he would, he had a lot of great athletic traits, and I, I thought he would be something special. Um, in 2013, uh, people remember they took Eddie Lacy in the second, but they got Jonathan Franklin in the fourth, which was a big steal at the time, and injuries robbed his career. Um, and then 2014 in the seventh round, they took wide receiver Jeff Janis. And I do have to do a, another brag here on myself. That year, I had Jared Aberderis in the fifth round mocked to the Packers. I had the wrong pick in the fifth round, but still. And yeah. I had Jeff Janis in the seventh. Nice. He was scouting Saginaw Valley State. Yeah, right. This guy. This and then, guy. And then Jeff Janis turns into this cult hero, and I wanted nothing to do with him. Um, and then 2017, wide receiver Malachi Dupree. This got mentioned on Twitter earlier this week, and I love Malachi Dupree. I thought he was going to be something special. Yeah, absolutely. I actually picked up some Malachi Dupree signed uh, cards and stuff because I just thought he's going to – they're like $3 on eBay. And I'm like, this guy's going to turn into something. And now I don't know what to do with my Malachi Dupree stuff. So what are you going to do? He was the cautionary tale of stay in school for your senior year oh, when yeah. your uh, draft stock's not really high. Um, yeah. But we we can certainly learn a lot about what we should expect from the 2019 rookie class in their first year um, in the team by looking back at the past a little bit. And so just like I didn't do my homework on Greg Jennings and was angry that they didn't get my man Chad Jackson, Jennings had the tremendous career and Jackson didn't. And I didn't do my homework on Elton Jenkins because I was so enamored with uh, Dalton Reisner. And I fully expect Jenkins to end up having a really, really good career. And one thing fans typically don't remember is there's about a 50% hit rate on first round draft picks. And it just goes down from there in each round. Odds are there will be a mid or late round draft pick who shines and an early round pick who doesn't. So, I just wanted to take a little bit of historical context here. If you go back to 2012, uh, we have Nick Perry in the first round at the 28th overall pick, and then Jarrell Worthy in the second round. Um, The second second round pick the Packers acquired was Casey Hayward, obviously. (laughs) That turned out to be a pretty good (laughs) pick, unfortunately not in Green Bay. Um, And then in the fourth round, the Packers take Mike Daniels. Uh, They also got Jerron McMillan in the fifth. They took Terrell Manning, who I've already talked about. In the seventh, they get Andrew Datko and uh, B.J. Coleman. So certainly all the expectations were on Perry and Worthy as the future of the defense. But it ends up being Casey Hayward and Mike Daniels who are actual stars. 
And I thought Terrell Manning was going to be really good, and he never did anything with the Packers. And Datko was this big-time prospect uh, who got drafted in the seventh round because he could never stay healthy. And then he ends up being a pro who can never stay healthy. Uh, So the history lesson is that the draft won't necessarily be made or broken by Rashawn Gary and Darnell Savage. But if they aren't really good, that puts a ton of pressure on the Packers to get several contributors from those middle round picks. So random topic to end the show. Oh, if if you want to add something. Well, I was just going to jump in and say, it's kind of sad because we get so excited about these draft classes, but statistically, there is really only about a 50% chance that these we got eight players this year. Really, statistically, only about eight, four of those guys are going to end up being contributors to this team. So, I mean, you, you pull for all these guys, but it's hard when you go through and you fall in love with all the guys. You watch their film after the draft, and you're, you're convinced that all these guys are going to be impact players. But you know the statistics really only show that four of these eight guys are going to be who the Packers think that they're going to be. So obviously we have a long way to go to see who that's going to be. Um, And, you know, you can have a really strong draft class that bucks those trends, but it is, you know, it's kind of crazy to think that, you know, it's about a 50% hit rate at best. Yeah. And there've been a lot of really great conversations going on with some of the draft pundits and people certainly more intelligent than myself um, about groupthink and the role that perception plays in this whole draft process. And, you know, it was sort of a, a, a laugh fest about the Raiders taking Cleveland Farrell at number four overall. Um, but somebody pointed out, you know, if Mike Mayock is working for the NFL Network and he loves Cleveland Farrell, right? Obviously, he loves him a lot if he took him at four. Um, and he's talking about how great of a prospect Cleveland Farrell is in the lead up to the draft. Suddenly, other draft pundits are on the Cleveland Farrell track um, and looking at him more closely. And maybe that's not such a head scratcher of a pick. And I, I think some of that happens with Rashawn Gary, too, right? Like when mock drafts first start coming out in February, people were talking about Rashawn Gary as a top five pick. And then suddenly everybody falls off because they're looking at production. And when he gets picked at 12, everybody's like, well, what are the Packers thinking? Well, two months ago, everybody thought he was the next greatest thing. And suddenly um, nobody's on that train. So really, I mean, I think, you know, development is, is going to have a lot to do with how successful he is and probably not everything that we, we talk about pre-draft and, and in the following weeks. Well, sorry about that. <laughs> uh, uh, but I was, I was going to say, like, we have to remember that uh, that the Packers start their process much, much earlier than we do as fans and even as people in Packers media. They have their opinions developed very, very early in the fall, and then they're they're working to establish those opinions, and their area scouts are doing work. So when we come into February and March and we're establishing our opinions about players, and we're kind of making those last-minute, quote-unquote, adjustments on how much we like a player, the Packers already have a pretty good idea of who they like long before they even get to the combine and they get to these guys' pro days, um, that these are not surprise snap decisions. And so obviously there was something about Rashawn Gary early in the process, you know, when the media has him bouncing up and down the board from top three to, you know, down into the 20s, the Packers board is not shifting. So uh, just interesting to see, you know, how how that process played out. And they were probably thrilled that he dropped all the way to 12 because they liked him a lot more than that. Absolutely. So, um, I just wanted to finish the show with a random topic. We previewed this a little bit on Twitter earlier this week, but what is the weirdest Packer jersey you have? 
Oh, man. Um, okay, so Packer jersey. My first jersey was actually a Mark Brunel, uh, Jacksonville Jaguars jersey. So uh, some Green Bay ties there. So maybe that counts. But uh, I think I was like eight years old for that, that Brunel jersey. But my first Packers jersey was actually a Justin Harrell jersey. Shortly after he was selected, I found a sick deal on eBay uh, for a Justin Harrell jersey for $19, and I couldn't pass that up. I was really hopeful that he was going to you know, turn it around and have this awesome career. Uh, obviously, somebody knew more than I did there. Uh, but then I went on to redeem myself with an Aaron Rodgers purchase to kind of bail myself out a little bit there. And then most recently, I purchased a Josh Jones 27, number 27, autographed blue and yellow throwback. So uh, I've got lots of layers to, to unpack with this one, but obviously Josh Jones is wearing 24 this year. So if he ends up being good and having a good 2019 season, I can always say that I was a big fan of Josh Jones even before he was 24 or, yeah. So we'll see how that goes. He's wearing 24. He's wearing 24, man. I had no idea. How did I miss this? Did you not know? Yeah, no, I didn't. And you know, when, when the Packers won the Super Bowl in 96, um, after Doug Evans left the team, because Doug Evans were 33, William Henderson switched from number 30 to number 33, and I was so confused for a really long time. I mean, granted, I was young too, but right. I had no idea. So I don't, I do not like when players switch numbers. It's very yeah, confusing. Yeah, no, I know. Now I don't know if that's like worth more or worth less, or like what do I do with it? But at least he didn't go with like. 88 and try to like rock number 88 from like the safety <laughs> position <laughs> something crazy yeah i know andy benoit would not like that at all um <laughs> and i would i was actually on a, a really good jersey streak i had a bart star and paul horny throwbacks you know i like the old school uh like i said i i had aaron Rodgers and jordy nelson i got the sam shields jersey as soon as i could physically locate one Took a long time, but uh, loved it. And then things really fell apart. I purchased an alternate jersey of J. Roan Elliott because J. Roan was my dude. Uh, <laughs> he was the undrafted guy I was locked on as soon as he signed, just like Sam Shields. And I thought his preseason performance was going to translate into regular season success. So I got his jersey. And I assume they had at least keep him for his special teams ability. And then he proceeded to get cut uh, pretty much immediately afterwards. So maybe <laughs> maybe I can get a Donerson nameplate to stick on the back of that 91 jersey to make up for it. Yeah, I think that's totally legitimate. Um, I will sell you my Justin Harrell jersey for $19 if you want that. No, thank you. Are <laughs> okay. those both 91s? Was Harrell I was 91? Trying, I think, oh. yeah, he is 91. Man, that's a bad streak. Yeah, like Kendall Donerson will change all of we that. We both need uh, Donerson nameplates, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but that is all the time we have for today. This has been Packaday Podcast. You can find Kyle on Twitter at Packer underscore Pundit. And you can find me at Andrew Mertig. Remember to also follow at Packaday Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the podcast if you like what we're doing. Tomorrow's episode is going to be hosted by Jake and Mark. You can catch Kyle and myself every single Friday. Thanks for listening. And as always, remember... From the 16 of New York, first down, goal to go. Rodgers in the shotgun, Williams to his left, here's the snap. Rodgers clean pocket, throws the middle of the end zone. And a dagger! They beat Morris Playboard to the back line of the end zone. The Packers have won it. Snap. 
to Wild. Oh, yes! And taken by Jackson in the end zone for a touchdown! Geronimo Allison! Josh Jackson, the rookie, recovers in the end zone in a Lambeau lead to the north end zone stand. The Packers have a 6 nothing lead. Pepper on third down of three in the shotgun. Packers showing a blitz, and here they come. Beathard looking, hit as he throws it, deep down the right sideline, and intercepted on the play. Spectacular interception by Kevin King at the nine-yard line of Green Bay. Snap to Rodgers, looking right. Throws the right side, City Brown makes the catch nice Oh, he reached back to gather it in, using all 6-5 of his frame. Tumbled out of bounds. Inside the 30 of the 28-yard line. Hunter Bradley the snap. J.K. Scott down on one knee, arm extended. Here it is. Placement made. Kick is up. It is good! It is good! Yes. Mason yes. Crosby delivers the dagger! One week after his worst day ever, he delivers the dagger tonight! Third and five, 13-yard line of Atlanta. Snap, Ryan, looks right, goes right down, intercepted to the house, Bishop Greenland, touchdown, Green Bay Packers. 19-yard interception return, and it's 16-7, Packers. Rodgers looks it over, takes the snap, blitz on, they pick it up, Lofting they got him, they got him, The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.